This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Tony Stevens from the Fathers of Mercy in Auburn, Kentucky, talks to us about being proactive Catholics. Father Tony Stevens was Divine Mercy Radio's banquet speaker in September of 2021. This is the talk he gave at the banquet in Salina. Excellent. Thank you very much, Lester, for that introduction. And it's great to be here with all of you this evening. I grew up out north of Grinnell off of Exit 85 at uh, my home parish is St. Paul's in Angeles. And it was... Uh, I was in the cathedral earlier this afternoon looking at some of the stained glass windows. So uh, Immaculate Conception Parish from Grinnell, which is where I went to high school, gave one of the windows. And the, I think it was the St. Michael the Archangel window was given by Monsignor Michael Dryling, who had been Pope and Pastor of Angelus for about 30 years. Men, men in the parish still talk about Monsignor Mike, and so he was, he was epic. And so it, it uh, brought a smile to my face, because he was from Ellis County and had grown up. They tell a story about Monsignor Dryling. Apparently there was an oil well on the property that he lived on, family oil well, and he, he was a, a, a frugal man. And so he changed the oil in his car one day, and he put crude oil as the replacement oil, thinking that it was just oil that came out of the ground that went right into the car. And so he got a mile down the road and the engine locked up. And of course, he got to put a new engine in the car that he was driving. Uh, But that was after Monsignor Mike had retired. Uh, But he was uh, a man who certainly was a great priest and passed on the faith out in in, uh, uh, regions west out in my home parish. I grew up on a feedlot in Sheridan County, Kansas. So my, my dad raised cattle and I was uh, one of the workers on the feedlot. I still have family out there who, they still run cattle. And uh, my mom was widowed, dad died in 2001 and she remarried Bill Kuhlman. I had the wedding in 2010 and so I can say that I married off my mom and it was all legitimate. <laughs> but uh, I'm very happy to, uh, to be here uh, being a, a son of the diocese. I was called to the Fathers of Mercy to be a traveling mission preacher. And because I, I grew up in St. Paul's Parish in Angeles, and so I always, in kind of sorting through my vocation, I tried to figure out, making that separation, why wasn't I called to be a diocesan priest and this call to religious life? And I thought, well, St. Paul was, he was a missionary to the Gentiles, you know? And so I always took great solace in that, in being called out to go out to the world and to be a, a mission preacher. In St. Paul's in Angeles, there's an image of the prodigal son. One of the stained glass windows is there. And so uh, we used to sit, the pews where we sat were under the stained glass window of the prodigal son. And that's actually the medallion on our habit is stamped. The Fathers of Mercy have the image of the prodigal son stamped on that medallion. And because that is our, our mission is to help to reunite those who have fallen away or those who just need to be reconciled to Christ. Our founder, Father Jean-Baptiste Rosan, had a great devotion to Luke chapter 15, especially the prodigal son story in that, in that uh, chapter of St. Luke, which is really the, the heart of the, that gospel and really the gospel of mercy. But it's, it's great to be here at the cathedral in my home diocese, and it's great to be back on the prairies. The title of this talk 
is being a proactive Catholic in a reactive world. Yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of September 11, 2001, when our nation was attacked. And I know we've been praying for those who died, for their family, for those who have served in any way in the military, uh, in the first responders. I know there's been a lot of prayer offered up as we have remembered uh, that horrible day in our nation's history. And we've seen in the news as well, you know, the uh, pulling out of Iraq and the final troops coming out of Iraq. And there's, you know, just a lot that we've probably been thinking through and praying through these last uh, weeks and in the last month for sure. And reflecting on this, I hope something that we have learned from this, the whole experience, you know, and just this part of our nation's history is something about uh, the Afghans. And what can we kind of apply spiritually to what the Afghans have done and the way that they kind of waited us out? Because the Afghans are great guerrilla warriors. They outlasted us, basically. They outlasted the Russians. They outlasted the British. They outlasted Alexander the Great uh, for the last two millennia. They have been outlasting anyone who entered that part of the world. And I hope that we as Catholics can be as zealous as avid for their homeland, can we be as, as zealous and as avid for our faith as we go out into the world, out into and serving in wherever we're called to serve, to be kind of those guerrilla warriors. Because, and, and, and to really think about that last book in the Old Testament, or the last two books, the books of Maccabees. And I'd like to share with you a passage from the Maccabees the book of Maccabees, because what was going on historically at that time, the, the Jews who lived in, in what is the Holy Land now, that, that region in, in uh, Judea, in the Middle East, they were taken over by the Greeks and the, the Hellenic Greek influence. They were trying to destroy what was left of the Greek culture. And finally, when Antiochus Epiphanes offered sacrifice in the temple, the Maccabees, one of the Maccabees had had enough and they started the up, I mean, it was a revolt. There was an uprising. And for a hundred years, they fought and, and had some success in uh, really sustaining their Greek or their uh, Jewish faith and restoring some of the culture. Listen to the words from the Maccabees, the book of Maccabees, uh, first book of Maccabees, chapter two, verse 40, 49 and following. Now the days drew near for Mattathias to die, and he said to his sons, Arrogance and reproach have now become strong. It is a time of ruin and furious anger. Do not fear the words of a sinner, for his splendor will turn into dung and worms. Today he will be exalted, but tomorrow he will not be found because he has returned to the dust and his plans will perish. My children, be courageous and grow strong in the law, for by it you will gain honor. Then Judas and his son, who was called Maccabeus, took command in his place. All his brothers and all who had joined his father helped him, and they gladly fought for Israel. And I love that, that last few words from that scripture passage. They gladly fought for Israel. And there was a, a zeal with which they tried and they worked to preserve their faith and their culture. And it, it was not easy. And so for all of us, 
to kind of put on that mind as, as the New Testament Christians, maybe as the New Testament Maccabees, but as New Testament spiritual guerrilla warriors, to really to put on that mindset that this is going to be something that we, we'd rather die than give up our faith and to give up our culture, because we do. We have seen the ways that culture has broken down. And it's, it's happened, a, you know, little bit by little bit, and now it feels like it's at breakneck speed in some cases, uh, just with even since the COVID shutdown and, and church attendance hasn't picked back up like we, we'd hoped it would, affronts to religious liberty, um, you know, a growing culture of entitlement. I mean, even the, the, the riots last summer and, and all of it. We know that we have this great faith and we, we've, we've been given these opportunities, though, as Catholics for us to be witnesses. And I'd, I'd like for us to turn for a moment and, and think about the words of Vatican II and the document Lumen Gentium, which is the document on the church. And from the chapter, the paragraph is paragraph 33, but it's talk, talking specifically about the laity, all of you, and all of the work that you're doing. Lumen Gentium says, Gathered together in the people of God and established in the one body of Christ under one head, the laity, no matter who they are, have as living members the vocation of applying to the building up of the church and to its continual sanctification all the powers which they have received from the goodness of the Creator and from the grace of the Redeemer. The apostolate of the laity is a sharing in the salvific mission of the church. Through baptism and confirmation, all are appointed to this apostolate by the Lord himself. Moreover, by the sacraments and especially by the Eucharist, that love of God and man, which is the soul of the apostolate, is communicated and nourished. The laity, however, are given this special vocation to make the church present and fruitful in those places and circumstances where it is only through them that she can become the salt of the earth. Thus, every lay person, through those gifts given to him, is at once the witness and the living instrument of the mission of the church itself, according to the measure of Christ's bestowal. Quite simply, there are places that the clergy and the religious really can't go, that all of you can go, and you are already going, but you need to take Christ with you as you go. And I'm, I'm sure you're already doing that. But, but by living out your faith, and just by your presence and your... Something you know that you can do, I just thought of this. I mean, we're at the, the Divine Mercy Radio Banquet. Where you work, you know, having the radio station on, having the Catholic radio station on, or, you know, if it's, if it's on your, uh, your desktop, on your computer, you know, at your place of work, I mean, so long as you're, you're not going to get fired for it, you know, I mean, I hope that might happen. I don't know. <laughs> but but to, to have the, that, that, having that, that, the music and the, and the radio programs and the chaplet and the rosary as it's prayed and the mass when it's offered, to have that on in the background at your place of work, and how would that act as a conversation starter with some of the people who you might, who might be fallen away, who might be interested in, in God? They, they're kind of a, a, a nun, an N-O-N-E. They don't have anything that they believe or, or adhere to, no creed. But them knowing that you are invested in your faith in this way, what change could that make? 
So taking your radio station with you. You know, having a holy card or something that you, you put at your, your, your workstation. Having a rosary handy. Something. Because... And one of the beauties of having a Catholic radio station, radio is the theater of the mind. You never know who's listening. And again, by you having that witness and you telling someone, hey, oh yeah, this is a great radio station. I like some of the music. I like, oh, there's this one program on. You know, I love this. And this, this guy's really funny, you know. Um, I think Father Fred, you've got a program, don't you? You do have a... Yes, yes, well, but he's on. But, you know... To have those, to have those, those, those connections with people, to make those connections, you never know who you might get to listen to it. Because people, as they're driving, I mean, you're kind of in a mercy alley right here with all the divine mercy images you have from here out to Oakley on the, on the interstate. It's really neat to see the divine mercy images. And to have the radio station available, it's just a, it's a, it's a great gift to the state and to the diocese. So for you, laity, to be able to take Jesus with you to your places of work and recreation. Take Jesus on vacation with you, you know, when you go on vacation. Uh, but, but make sure that you're giving that witness to your faith. And you've been given that role. This is a, a living out of the teachings of Vatican II. It's a living out of our vocation given us by the church. And this is a way to be a good warrior, a good Maccabee. And so I'd like to offer, though, some very fundamental reminders I'm not going to say anything new, nothing you haven't heard in the next little portion of the talk, but, but ways that are going to help you to be sustained in God's grace and his life and love so that you can remain zealous in being a proactive Catholic. Number one, go to Mass regularly and daily when possible. Okay. If you can only go to one more daily Mass a month, maybe you only get to go to the weekend Masses because work precludes you from being able to go to daily Mass. But maybe you can hit a daily Mass every once in a while. Do it. Go, go and, and, and receiving our Lord, going to worship with your brothers and sisters, go. Make it a priority. Go to one more daily Mass a month if you can. There's a beautiful line from St. John Chrysostom. He says, Let us therefore go down from that table breathing fire like lions, terrible to the demons. When we receive Jesus in Holy Communion, the demons are scared of us because we have received the God-man, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Not even the good angels get to receive Jesus in communion. That is a gift given to, to human beings because the Word became flesh. The second person of the Blessed Trinity came to dwell among us and He gave us His body and His blood. The demons don't get to do that, and they're jealous of us. I presume they're jealous of us. They hate us. And so we, we terrify them when we have been united with Christ in communion. They, they hate that about us, and they, they hate that about Christ, that he, he was that self-sacrificing, that, that he loved us that much. And so the gift of the Eucharist, and to receive the gift of the Eucharist regularly. Secondly, preach the truth in love, but be careful how you preach the truth. It's, it's important that we, we proclaim the truth at all times. And I want to give you a couple of examples. An example of, I think, a, a good message of preaching the truth in love. And then a, a not so good example of, of preaching the truth. There was a, a book that came out a few years ago and then a movie called Unplanned. And it's the uh, conversion story of Abby Johnson, who was a Planned Parenthood 
clinic director, and then she since stepped away from the, the, the uh, pro-choice movement, I mean, became very pro-life, and has since become a Catholic. And so part of her conversion involved a couple by the name of Sean and Marilissa Carney. Sean Carney was the founder of the 40 Days for Life uh, movement. They began their movement, or their, their uh, uh, prayerful protest in front of the abortion clinic where Abby Johnson worked. And so you see this play out in the movie, which is called Unplanned, and the National Catholic Register did an interview with Marilissa a few years ago and asked about her role in the movie and, 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 and her role in um, really interacting with Abby Johnson. And so the, the interviewer asked Marilissa this question. In the film, when you were doing sidewalk counseling, you didn't seem to approach women with the difficult issue at hand, their abortion, but started somewhere else, like by commenting about their shirt or making small talk. Is that what you did in real life? And this is Marilissa's response. She said, yes, my basic approach was to find common ground, find something I could be sincere about. Almost every woman likes to talk about herself, so that is where I would start. And also, I love handbags and shoes. My impulse reaction if someone asked me about my purse would be to engage with them, no matter who they were. But I would also try to approach women in a peaceful and loving and kind way. Despite their drastic circumstances, I always wanted to start with common ground because we were both women in a similar age category, divided only by a fence and this issue of a baby. So these things would break the ice and often lead to deeper conversations. But the compliment had to be sincere because women can tell when it isn't. Hair was another big one because I've always loved hair. I love this response. Now, and, and she uses that phrase common ground. Now she's using it in the sense of just respecting the, the woman in front of her, the person in front of her, and trying to find something that they could sincerely agree on and then build some relationship of trust, and then move on from there. And I, I think that's a, a great model for trying to engage someone, especially, and this is a, obviously with a tense topic, already they're, they're in front of an abortion clinic and there's already a lot of tension between the, the, the prayer warriors, the pro-life witnesses out in the front, and then those who are the, uh, the counter-protesters or the, the employees at the clinic. But they're still human beings. And they still, if, if we don't, reach out to them, who will reach out to them? And that's what Marilissa was trying to do through all of this. And so she connected on the personal life first, and then over time she met Abby Johnson, and over time Abby Johnson, I mean, she left her job because she became disgusted with it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Abby Johnson's story is amazing. She walked into the office for the 40 Days for Life, and she told Sean, I, I can't do this anymore. And so that contact, though, with Marilissa and those conversations they had built a relationship of trust, and they prayed for her. And now that happened down in Texas. And what did we see a couple of weeks ago? But Texas has this, this law now banning abortion after six weeks. Now, we'll see how long that lasts. We know there's going to be a, a firefight that's going to go on, but praise God. I mean, this is a great victory for the movement for life. And... 
I think that you can say that part of that began with that, that 40 days for life and that contact and that, that very positive, but, but still standing up for the truth because Marilissa is not one. She doesn't, she's quiet and demure, but you can bet she wouldn't back down when engaged. And so preaching the truth in love, but still preaching the truth. So I think that's a really good example of how to engage people, you know, preaching the truth. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. You'll want to tune into the second half to find out a not so good way to engage another. Double-edged sword cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Being a proactive Catholic. With Father Tony Stevens. Now I'm going to give you an example of how not to convey the truth. And I'm in Kansas and so I have to tell a farm story because I grew up on a feedlot. And this is an example of preaching the truth with too much vigor. Don't do this. In the summer of 1998, it was hot, dry, as it is in western Kansas, but it was really hot and dry in Texas. There was a drought going on, and so they were liquidating a lot of the cattle from that country because they had nothing to feed them, and they were sending them to uh, feedlots here in Kansas. My family runs a feedlot, and my dad had a customer who bought a truckload of cattle out of South Texas. The cattle were to be delivered to Stevens Feedlot at about four in the afternoon, and we were awaiting their delivery. Myself, my father, a hired man by the name of Stan Baskell. Now keep in mind, Stan lived right across the road, half a mile away, and he ran a pig farm. Stan runs a pig farm on the west side of the county road, and we've got feedlot on the east side of the county road, about 2,000 head capacity, so there's a lot of cattle there. There's plenty of pigs over there, lots of cattle over on the west side, east side. We see the cattle truck eventually about on time. It, uh, it goes rolling past our driveway, and it pulls into Stan Baskell's farm. Now, we're watching the, the truck from our, we had an office, a little office building, and we saw the truck in the window, and we thought, well, Stan wondered, why is there a truck at my place? So he gets up to leave to go over and check on, on to drive over to his farm to figure out why a, there's a truck over there. And my dad and I, we, we uh, also follow him over there. We get into, dad's driving a Buick LeSabre. That was his runaround car. He had a pickup, but he always ran around. He ran errands in his, uh, his Buick. So we're watching the cattle truck over at Stan's farm and the truck actually starts to back up to Stan's pig pens. And Stan is speeding up, you can tell he's really starting to kick it into gear. And we get, begin to kick it into gear because by the time we get over there, there's two truck drivers, they were uh, team drivers, and they had begun unloading cattle at pig pens. You know, a 30-inch fence for pig pens. And these cattle have been on a cattle truck for 15 hours. And they come off the back of the cattle truck like cruise missiles. And they're over the fence, and they're running around Stan's yard. 
my dad is, you know, he's talking to the, the truck drivers trying to figure out what they, what, what are you doing, you know? He sees one of the, the it was about a 500 pound heifer, she takes off south, like she's gonna go back to Texas. And we get into the Buick and we take off across the plowed field after her and then there's two pickups behind us, it's like the Dukes of Hazard, you know? <laughs> and we're trying to cut her off from getting into a cornfield well, she ended up getting into the cornfield and at a neighbor's, and we, I mean, this was July. I think we caught her in October, you know, I mean. <laughs> so she did make it home. And the, the others that, that had escaped, why we, we, got, we, we got them driven over to, the, to our, our feedlot. But while we're chasing cattle across the plowed field, the, the truck drivers decide, well, well, we'll go to the place where we were supposed to have gone in the first place. And they back up and they begin unloading cattle at our place, at the Stevens feedlot, as they should have. But, but Dad was mad at this point. <laughs> Dad was really, really upset. And so he, uh, he speeds into, into the yard and he pulls up to the truck and the truckers are unloading. And I, by the way he grabbed the gear shift lever of the car and he slammed it into park, I thought, oh, this is gonna be bad. And I said, Dad, remember some Christian charity? And he pulls open, throws the door open, and he goes, I mean, marching over to these two truck drivers, and he begins to cuss like a sailor, and he, he made a sailor blush with, with all that he said. And these, these two truck drivers come to find out they were drunk and stoned. They were just out of their gourd. They were not with it until my dad started yelling at them, and they were both big-eyed and terrified that they were gonna die. And fortunately, you know, no one was hurt. All the cattle were delivered and everything turned out just fine. Dad apologized because, but he, he was very upset because they, they, they should have, they shouldn't have opened the gate until they talked to someone. But when you figure out they're drunk and stoned, they're not in their right mind anyway. So he was, I mean, never argue with a drunk man. You never know who the fool is, you know. Uh, <laughs> A couple weeks later, there was another delivery of cattle from the same cattle buyer, different, different trucking company, and he was very prompt, and he was very polite, and he was very sober, and he, uh, we unloaded the cattle, and he pulled me aside after the, we were done, and he said, you know, uh, there's a, a story going around South Texas about two truck drivers that nearly died because a man bigger than an NFL linebacker about killed them. And I, I grinned at him and I said, yeah, that was my dad. We had that, that did happen, that, that was this feedlot. And, and he just, he grinned and, and he, we, he kind of moved on. But you know, where my father's anger was, it was over the top, it was, it was sinful anger. There was something good in it because he did, in speaking the truth to those guys, word did get back to that trucking company. <laughs> This was a fifty or $60,000 delivery these men were responsible for. And the owner of the cattle and the, the feedlot manager were not happy about the way this turned out. And so my, my point is this, that there is such thing as righteous anger, and there are some things in life that should make us upset. Now, anger in and of itself is an emotion that in and of itself, it's not good, it's not bad, it's what you do with it. It's what it boils down to. How do you act out of the anger? Is it controlled by reason or do you stew over it? Do you let it, do you lash out or do you channel that energy into something good? 
And fortunately, even in my father's over-the-top anger, there was some truth that made it back to the people who needed to hear. This is how we do business, you know. This, this is a responsible way of doing business. And so for us as Christians, as Catholics, as, as, as people who are going out into the world who are seeing things that should make us upset, whether, you know, whether it's life issues, whether it's the affronts to marriage, what do we do with that, that anger? What do, do we do with that energy? And first and foremost, I think we've got to pray for meekness, which is the virtue that really helps to channel anger. But keep in mind, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not ignoring. It's not under uh, um, responding to in, in too uh, insufficient a way. I mean, there is a there's a proper place for anger because we see Jesus even get angry in the Gospels where he throws over the, the tables of the money changers. And he was upset because at that place in the court of the Gentiles in the temple, there should have been a place for the Gentiles to pray. And he was upset because that space had been taken up by those who were changing money, selling sacrifices and so forth. And that angered him because the Gentiles should have had a, that, that place was set aside for them to pray in the temple. And so for us to, to pray for that meekness, because... We do want to take that energy, we want to take that anger, and you want it to become something, you want it to become something fruitful. Take action, that's my next point. How will we, we get, a, you know, get out of our heads and take action? And I do hope that you know, there's, there's good works in the parish that we might be able to get involved in. The, the corporal works of mercy, the spiritual works of mercy, but do something in your, in your parish, in your community, Give back in some way through time, treasure, or talent. Give in some way in order to be that, that uh, channel of God's grace and God's mercy it, where you are. Because again, in, this, in your role as the laity, we need you to do that. That's, that's your proper place. That's your proper role. Don't be discouraged thinking that the work you might do is going to be too small or too insuff not sufficient. Don't, don't think in those terms. Do little things with great love. That was what St. Therese of Lisieux, her, her little way, was, that was her, the, her whole spirituality, doing little things with great love. And it's, it's like the little boy in the gospel who showed up with the five barley loaves and the two fish. And the, the apostle said, well, Lord, what is, what is uh, so little going to do for so many? You know, it's not enough. But the Lord knew what he was going to do, and he multiplied it to feed the 5,000. So take whatever little offering that you have, whatever you can contribute in volunteering, especially, you know, and, and putting your good works, to, put, put, putting those good works into action. The next point, one of these things that you're going to, to act upon, too, is daily prayer. Remember, daily prayer, is, it's about a relationship with a person. It's not a monologue. It's not us telling God what God should do or how he should do things, although we get pretty good at that. But have a routine time that you pray. If you can't go to daily Mass, at least read the daily Mass readings. Pray the rosary daily. And since this is Divine Mercy Radio that we're supporting and promoting, pray the Chaplet of Divine Mercy every day. Again, 
it, it, it's a beautiful prayer. It's a powerful prayer. We're praying it. I mean, you know the, the, the words of the chaplet. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Um, one of the things my family did growing up, I'm very thankful for this because mom and dad would sometimes insert a name into the chaplet to kind of personalize the chaplet. And so I know they prayed for us kids. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on Tony and on the whole world. And I know they prayed for each other. And so, you know, pray, pray for family. Pray for, pray for our leaders. Pray for Pope Francis. Pray for President Biden. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, have mercy on President Biden and on the whole world. Pray for Nancy Pelosi. Pray for, but, but those people in positions of leadership, they need our prayers. And if we don't do it, who will pray for them? And I, I do think that the, you know, the Lord, he, he asks us to, to take all things to prayer. He asks us to even, even to pray for our enemies. And so for those people we struggle with, those people we don't like, Jesus said in the gospel, love your enemies. He didn't say take them to Starbucks. He didn't say you had to have warm, fuzzy feelings about them. But he did say pray for them. And so I think to personalize the chaplet in some way is a powerful way to do that. Because we pray in the Our Father... Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we want mercy, we're going to need to show mercy. If we want mercy, I think it's really important that we pray for mercy for others as well. Because there's something about mercy and that is, it is so freeing and it deflates anger. Because sometimes we do have anger that we hang on to. We may not even realize we're doing it sometimes. But the more we pray for that mercy for ourselves and for others, it deflates that anger. It disarms it. And, and that, that, that is so necessary for, for us to take part in that. Because having received that great gift of mercy from the cross, to share that with others. Now, if we've fallen short in showing mercy, we know we have the sacrament of confession. So that's the, the next point. Go to confession regularly. Receive that, that sacrament of mercy. Now, I've known people uh, who've said, you know, Father, I, I live by myself. I'm old. I don't feel like I sin. I don't know why I should go to confession uh, that often. And I encourage people to go to confession once a month. I think it's a good habit. Just every, every few weeks, every four weeks. Uh, keep the priest busy. That's part of who we are as priests. We, we're, we are confessors. And that, that's a, a marvelous role that we've been, a privilege we've been given to reconcile people to Christ in that sacrament. So go to confession regularly and ask for that mercy. Because the more you ask for it, the more likely you will be to show it to others. I have two points left, so we're almost there. The second to the last point, it is, it is this. Persevere. Never, never, never give up. And a way that I encourage you to ask for the, the graces to persevere is to ask Our Lady's intercession. Uh, Our Lady of Fatima, one of her, her um, appearances in, in 1917, she told the children about the five first Saturdays, about attending Mass on the five first Saturdays. And I'd like to share this with you because, and, and part of the reason I think that the trying to foster this devotion to Fatima and the five first Saturdays, the having that habit 
of thinking about going to Mass on a first Saturday. You're going to have to form your whole week and even your whole month. You're going to have to kind of plan ahead to form that habit of going to Mass on that first Saturday. And when you start to think about, okay, going to Mass on the first Saturday of the month, five months in a row, you got to, I mean, that, that actually takes a little bit of planning because there's a lot of basketball games and volleyball games and soccer matches and all that kind of stuff that you might have to schedule around. But you can do that. But Our Lady, she said this to the children. And this is why, ultimately, this is why it's very important that we do this. She says, I promise to assist at the hour of death with all the graces necessary for salvation to all who on the first Saturday of five consecutive months, you must do these four things. First, go to confession. So if you go to your monthly confession, it will suffice to receive this indulgence of the five first Saturdays. Go to confession within 20 days. That's why you're making that monthly confession. Secondly, receive Holy Communion on that first Saturday. Maybe your parish doesn't have a, a daily Mass on Saturday. That's okay. Go to Mass that Saturday night for the Vigil Mass. Receive Communion on that first Saturday. Third, pray five decades of the Rosary. And you're already doing that, or you're trying to. So get that, hit that on that first Saturday. And fourth, keep me company for 15 minutes while meditating on the mysteries of the rosary, all with the intention of making reparation to my immaculate heart. And we, we think about all of the offenses against the, the immaculate heart of Mary, all of the, the sin in the world. And we can't write it. We can't make it right. We can't fix it, but we can console her. And so to meditate on the mysteries of the rosary, those mysteries of the gospel, just to think through those and pray through those for 15 minutes. If you do those four things, go to confession, receive communion, pray five decades of the rosary, and meditate on the mysteries of the rosary for 15 minutes with the intention of making reparation to her immaculate heart. This is going to be a way that you're really forming a habit of life or just, you know, tweaking your life a little bit. And this will aid you in that perseverance in really being, because again, you're guerrilla warriors. <laughs> you're out in the culture and you need those graces. You need that aid, that spiritual aid. And this is going to help you to receive that. Last point, smile, smile. Be a happy Catholic, not a happy clappy Catholic, no, but one who recognizes what you have been given in your faith, one who is joyful because of you, you've experienced the love of Christ and you recognize that Christ has won the war, but we've been called to aid him in fighting these battles day in and day out. And we'll be like the Maccabees. We will fight gladly for God, but we do so because we've been given this grace we've been given we're living out of a joy that is it's not our own joy it's a joy that has been given us by the holy spirit and so let us end with a hail mary asking for the graces of that final perseverance and asking our lady's intercession hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god 
Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. Please know how much we appreciate all those who support this station. If you're not a member of our evangelization family, we invite you to go to dvmercy.com and check us out. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsborg, Salina, 105.7 KMDG, Hayes, 88.1 KRTT, Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM, Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.